Welcome to Arkansas AgCast, your source for the latest news and views in Arkansas agriculture. Arkansas AgCast is produced by the Arkansas Farm Bureau Federation. Hello and welcome to the Arkansas AgCast for the week of September 23rd. I'm your host, Jessica Clauser. On this week's edition, we have an interview with Arkansas Farm Bureau President Randy Veach, who tells us about his trip to Europe for a major trade conference. We also have the latest on muscadine research, the University of Arkansas Monticello's Collegiate Farm Bureau, and an on-campus retail meat market being developed at Centerpoint High School. First up, Arkansas Farm Bureau's Steve Eddington will talk to ARFB President Randy Veach, who was among the agriculture industry leaders representing the U.S. at the 39th biannual North American European Union Agriculture Conference in Copenhagen, Denmark. As a member of the American Farm Bureau's Trade Committee, Beach accompanied AFBF President Zippy Duval of Georgia and several other Farm Bureau presidents from around the country to meet with EU agriculture and trade officials and discuss trade and other issues like food safety, sustainability, and more. Well, we have a great pleasure this morning to visit with Arkansas Farm Bureau President Randy Veach, who is uh, in his office in Little Rock on the heels of a trip to Copenhagen, Denmark, where the focus was international trade. That is something that Randy has made a real focus in his tenure as president. Randy, talk to us a little bit about uh, that trip. and. Uh, Actually, let me pause and welcome you to Arkansas AgCast, first chance we've had to have you on with us in Arkansas AgCast. So uh, how was Copenhagen, and what sort of work uh, were you focused on there? Well, it was a very enlightening trip and a, a very good trip, and we learned a lot from uh, all of those. There, there was uh, no telling how many countries there because they were from uh, all over the EU and then all over uh, from American Farm Bureau brought a group from all the different states, several different states out of uh, America. So we had a lot of diverse group there and a lot of diverse agriculture there and probably well covered all segments of agriculture in uh, this trip. It's North American uh, EU uh, Ag Conference slash trade, and it was uh, a lot about trade, of course, because of all the, the trade deals that are going on now with different countries, especially with the United States dealing with that trade. You indicated that uh, American Farm Bureau President Zippy Duval led the uh, American Farm Bureau delegation along with you and several other state Farm Bureau presidents. Talk about their representation and what types of agriculture they were representing. Well, we pretty well had uh, everything covered. We we had uh, row crop farming and uh, cattle and livestock farming as well, ranchers, and we had all of that covered and pretty well covering most parts of the of the nation as well. We had uh, from South Dakota, from Wisconsin, from Pennsylvania, from Texas, from Arkansas, and from Georgia. And so we really didn't have anybody from out west, but uh, most of all this side a of pretty, the a pretty broad country, representation. Pretty broad representation, yes, and all all different kinds of agriculture there was represented. So uh, we hear a lot about trade and the challenges in trade right now. They focus primarily on China, uh, Mexico, Canada, but the European Union is a significant uh, player in trade issues right now, which is why this was especially timely. 
Yes, it is a big issue. We're, you know, of course, dealing with the China issue, but they are too. So there's, you know, we're not the only ones out there that's having difficulties with China, and and they kind of can relate to what we are. We're probably having the most, but we still can relate to that. Uh, but also, we've, we're dealing with uh, Japan on great trade agreements this time too, and it was talked about a little bit, but more more frequently and more discussion on uh, North America. Uh, which would be the USMCA, Canada, and Mexico. They were both there, so a lot of representation from those two countries. And uh, we had some good conversations with them on the USMCA. Uh, Mexico has already approved it, and Canada's kind of waiting on us. And so, but they're having some pushback from some of their farmers in Canada. We learned that and some of the issues there, and probably milk, one of the largest issues with that. So, Randy, we've had uh, conversations at length with the uh congressional delegation that represents Arkansas about this uh, NAFTA 2.0, accurately referred to as USMECA, United States-Mexico-Canada Agreement. Where do you think they are from a timing standpoint? Can we get action on this? Can they move on that? Yeah, I think that uh, it's going gonna, it's gonna to come about, and uh, I think that it's, it's going to happen. Like I said, Canada's waiting on us. And by the way, they call it CUSM. <laughs> hey, that's <laughs> what they do. They put them first, yes. but you know we, it is so actually the U.S. In Canada. You're saying they say, they call it the Canada U.S. Right. Mexico Agreement. Right, right. In Canada, they put Canada first in in the uh, acronym for this trade agreement. But they understand that uh, the United States is extremely important to them, both Canada and Mexico. And so I, I think this deal will, will come about. we got to get it before Congress here in the United States. And when we do, they'll send it to their parliament in Canada. And uh, hopefully their parliament is going to uh, reconvene in October. So hopefully that we can get an opportunity there that uh, they will get it approved and we can get it approved. There was some discussion. We met with uh, the head of the uh, ag uh organization in Canada, and uh, there is still some pushback by some of their farmers, especially dairy, on uh, on the agreement, but we think that uh, the parliament will, will approve it, and we think we'll get it done. So trade has been a topic of national conversation in the last several months, primarily because of the administration's actions as it relates to tariffs and China. So there's a little bit of a double-edged sword when trade, agricultural trade in particular, becomes a national conversation. It offers opportunities, but it's obviously presenting some challenges, too. From a farmer's perspective, you know, where do we need to be with trade? Well, we need to have those secure markets. You know, it took years and years to build these uh, agriculture markets in other countries, and we have we have put a lot into that, building a relationship there, so that they know how dependable we are, and they know how uh, high quality of our ag products that we export to them. And you know, most of them have got to have them. I mean, they cannot feed all of their people, uh, feed, clothe, or or uh, shelter without help from other countries. And so we want we we've worked on those markets, and now we're it's it's getting more kind of on thin ice on some of it and that's difficult for us in agriculture so we get them back going hopefully it won't take as long to rebuild those markets as it took to build them to start with and that's that's going to be our goal is to when we are able to complete these trade agreements that we move quickly 
into buying and selling our, our products out of, uh, of the United States. Trade has been a, a real focus for you in your time as president. Uh, I can't count on two hands the number of international trips you've made, uh, all focused on trying to help Arkansas farmers and ranchers. Uh, talk about why that's important and the role that Farm Bureau can, can play in getting farmers' markets in front of foreign governments. Well, you know, it's, it's important that being the largest farm organization, not only in Arkansas but in the nation, it's important when we go with that kind of representation to another country and talk to them about the trade between the two countries. And, and I've you know, been to China a couple of times, been to, the, to Panama, Mexico, Canada, uh, Japan, South Korea, and several others, Denmark and Switzerland and, uh, and Ireland and, and talking, talking trade. But these trades in this conference is a lot about, you know, our relationships with the EU, but all of our relationships uh, make a difference, and really, really we need to cultivate those and keep them strong. In the EU, we're actually at about a $7 to $8 billion deficit when it comes to the EU and our ag trade there. They, they export more to us uh, than we export to them. And so there's a deficit in there that we are about a $8 billion deficit there on what we're, they're buying from us and what we're buying from them. And we discussed that at this agreement and talked to some of the, we had some side meetings uh, with Canada and we had some side meetings with the um, Lighthizer's counterpart for the EU, which was a pretty big deal for us, and got to that, meet with him. That's Robert Lighthizer, the U.S. Trade Representative. U.S. Trade Representative, and it was their their counterpart <clears throat> in the EU, and so we had a meeting, side meeting with him, and was able to uh, talk about that some. So we, we, we need all these markets, and uh, the U.K. is, is or the, and the EU, the Brexit is uh, kind of in limbo, but I think there was a, while we were there, we got word, uh, and the countries got up and kind of was excited about it as well that they've reached an agreement. But I haven't seen what it was, or it's not been confirmed yet. But uh, so maybe they could get that settled and get Brexit taken care of. But we're going to have to deal with the EU and the UK. Randy, put us uh, in your shoes when you go sit down uh, with a, a government entity. Uh, on foreign soil and in introduce yourself and tell them what you're there for. What, what's that like? What do you hear? Well, it's, uh, it's pretty unique in a way that we, we set up these meetings before we're going to those countries. I'll give China as, as an example. And when we go into, went into China, we sit down with some trade ministers there and uh, three or four at a time and spoke with them. And we'll have a real frank discussion. They'll be frank back with us, of course, always will be. China will. And we'll be frank back with them on that, you know, you need us. And so we've got to work this deal. We've got to, we got to be able to do it. But I think one of the most impressive things that we do, and I've had it happen to me in China and in South Korea and in Japan and those countries that don't speak the same language that we do, and we take a right. booklet with us uh, and give it to them that describes all of agriculture in Arkansas. In their language. In their language. Right. And they all get excited about it when we hand it to them in their language. And we go over those things, how that we are dependable uh, with our markets and, and being able to get the, the commodities that need to them. We have great 
transportation for our commodities to be gone all over the world, and we, we have the ability to get it there. And we also talk about the high quality of what we have in the United States. I've been in a lot of countries where I guarantee you the quality of, of what they're producing for their, for their citizens of their country isn't half as good as what we do in the United States. And we're very conscious of uh, in the environment and climate change. And then when you get into the EU and that part of the world there and those countries there, they are very, very conscientious about that as well because they're really, they're really pushed by the, by the citizens of those countries uh, to take care of the climate and to take care of the environment. So when you have the opportunity to get in front of a government official and you tell them about the food safety standards in the United States, the production practices we use, the sustainability, the, the long-term multi-generational family farms that, that uh, predominate in American agriculture, what reaction do you get? Well, they'll, uh, they'll kind of defend themselves a little bit when it comes to that, but in the, in the long run when we get through the discussion, they, they do understand and agree that we probably uh, bring in the highest quality uh, product that, than any other country in the world. So, uh, again, we've talked about uh, your focus on trade uh, in your time and tenure as president. Uh, tell us why that's important to Arkansas farmers and ranchers and to the largest industry in our state, agriculture. Well, one good example I probably is that one-third of the soybeans that we raise in Arkansas goes, we used to go to China. And so you can see how big a market that is. And if we, if we lose some of these markets, it's going to be devastating on our farmers and ranchers. We were right in the middle of uh, looking for or, or had, a, had a pretty much a beef agreement uh, done with China, and it came right, we're just about to get it all finished up when the trade war started. And so that's, that's gone right now. Hopefully we can rebuild that after this is over with and get, get beef going into China. Uh, China really, really has to have us uh, to sustain them and be able to feed their people. But there's other countries that's the same way. And so, uh, but we do, I do am and impressed in, in a lot of the countries about the efforts that they're making in agriculture and how important it is to them there. And they, they recognize that too. You know, it's important that you're able to feed fiber and shelter uh, your people in your country. And so that makes a difference. And the way we do it is uh, the best in the, in the in across the globe. Uh, the way we do it in the United States and, and the way we do it in Arkansas. So uh, they want our products. We just, we just got to make the deals and put it together. Randy, I've heard you say so eloquently in the past uh, how fortunate Arkansas is to produce more than we need, and that gives us an opportunity to share that bounty with the world. In fact, you, 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 you think there's divine intervention blessing there. Well, I think it's a moral obligation that we have. Uh, God has get a, given us the natural resources that uh, where we can not only feed fiber and shelter uh, the people in Arkansas and the people in, in our nation, but we also have abundance of that where we can feed fiber and shelter those in other countries as well. Yes, we need to have some uh, compensation for that so our farmers and ranchers can stay profitable. Because if you heard me say several times, if we're not profitable, we are not sustainable. And so there was a lot of talk at this meeting about sustainability for agriculture. And they're really struggling, it, struggling with that in the EU 
uh, and we are somewhat in America, but we are very good caretakers in the environment. Our farmers and ranchers are, and we we make our living from the environment, from our land and from the air and from our water, and we want to keep it going. We want to keep it uh, clear and pure, and so we do all we can, and we, we are good at that uh, because that's where we make our living. Randy Veach, the president of the Arkansas Farm Bureau. Randy, we appreciate your efforts uh, on trade on behalf of the Arkansas farmers and ranchers, and we thank you for joining us today on Arkansas AgCast. Next up, we have an interview by Greg Patterson about the science of growing muscadines. Greg talks to fruit breeding expert Dr. Margaret Worthington of the University of Arkansas Division of Agriculture, who explains the work on muscadine breeding program being conducted at the Fruit Research Station near Clarksville. This is Greg Patterson, and on this edition of Arkansas AgCast, we're talking with Dr. Margaret Worthington, and she's an assistant professor with the University of Arkansas and the Extension Service, and like you're in charge of all the muscadine stuff. So what is the real good research that's going on right here on muscadines at the uh, Fruit Research Station? So we are run a large breeding program here. Uh, people may be familiar with our blackberry breeding program or peaches or table grapes and muscadines is the newest breeding program. So we started making crosses in about 2006 and now we're in about year 13 of the program. A lot of exciting stuff is happening. Uh, we have a lot of improvements in texture, things that are a little bit more like a table grape where you can eat the skin and don't have to spit it out. Um, we also are breeding with seedless muscadines, um, and that's a program that is run by Jeff Bloodworth and Gardens Alive. So I hope that we'll have some new seedless muscadines coming out of the program soon too. So talk in terms, you, you're a North Carolina girl, right? That's right. You've been eating muscadines all your life. And as many Arkansans know, when you're eating muscadines, you're chewing and spitting and expelling seeds or skins and stuff like that. So what are y'all trying to accomplish with the muscadine work that you're doing here right now? That's a great question. So what we've been really successful with in our table grape breeding program is combining that traditional Thompson seedless table grape texture with new flavors of American grapes like Concords. And people are really receptive to those new varieties that are highly flavored but have a familiar texture. So I think that people who didn't grow up eating muscadines can be turned off by the skin, which sometimes you can chew and chew and chew and you can't break it up. It's like shoe leather or the flesh, which I've been told is like an oyster or an eyeball. Uh, and so we have a lot of improvements within muscadines that now they're much more similar to what you'd see in a table grape. And I know you tried some of the fruit. You can eat the skin, the whole thing pretty easily. So now the next step is to get rid of that seed. So the end game would be to have a muscadine variety that 
you could sell in the grocery stores and, and actually eat it much like a table grape. That is the goal. So I'm actually really surprised since I've been in Arkansas by how few muscadines I see around the state. In North Carolina, it's very traditional to see in Walmart and all of the grocery stores on the shelf in the months of August and September muscadines. And people eat them quite frequently. And I think they're a terrific little snack. So we'd like to see muscadines appealing to a broader audience. And I think it's a terrific market opportunity for some one, particularly those who sell at a farmer's market or something, to have something new coming out in September when a lot of our other fruit crops are done. Now you said um, you've been doing this work or this work has been uh, being done here for about the last 12 years. Talk, and talk about what that entails. You were, you were throwing some numbers out earlier today and, and it, you know, to the average person who, who doesn't know what it takes to move from point A to point Z when you're when you're doing crosses and whatnot mm -hmm. how many of them have you all been working on in 12 years well plant breeding is a very long-term goal long-term activity even when you're thinking about things like row crops so even for our rice breeding program at the division of agriculture it'll take them about eight years to get a variety out from crossing to finally releasing it. And it's only longer for us working in fruit crops because it takes three years before you have a vine that is mature enough to bear fruit so that we can evaluate it. So it takes a long time and that's why we haven't had a release out yet, although we are very near. Uh, Plant breeding is also a numbers game. The more seedlings that you plant and the more crosses that you make, the more likely you are to find a winner. So since we started the program in 2006 or thereabouts, we've planted around 18,000 seedlings and we've made about 250 selections that are moving through the pipeline. So we plant about 2,000 seedlings every year, and we'd love to do even more, but it's quite expensive to maintain all those vines, and we need the space to keep them growing, too. Now, this is an attempt, obviously, to create a muscadine that's much like a table grape, but at the same time, muscadines are well known for their juice qualities and their wine qualities. Does that still... Uh, come into play even though you're developing a table-like grape? Will these grapes still be used for wine and juice making? Yeah, we have two objectives in this program. I'd say our primary focus has been on table grape type muscadines. However, we also have made crosses among some more processing type selections. Usually you're not interested in texture and that kind of a characteristic for the um, processing types, what you want instead is flavor, sugar, and color stability. So we are particularly interested in finding a replacement or a supplement for Noble that is kind of the industry standard black processing muscadine. So it loses a lot of its color during storage. It doesn't hold up well like wine that's made with Vitus vinifera, you know, Cabernet Sauvignon, Pinot Noir. And we'd love to find muscadines that keep their color better to make nicer wines in the future. So that's a secondary objective of our breeding program. Okay, look at your crystal ball based on the experience you have so far. And when might we see 
this this table grape emerge? Well, my colleague John Clark, who founded this program and is well known across the state, he's going to retire in about three years, and we want to make sure that we get at least one muscadine out and released before he retires. So certainly in the next year or two, we're going to be making some decisions. There are some that I think are really exciting moving through the pipeline now. I've sent them out to colleagues in Georgia, North Carolina, Texas, and I'm kind of getting data back about how they're performing now. So I hope it looks good and I hope we have something out real soon. Dr. Margaret Worthington, she's with the uh, University of Arkansas's Division of Agriculture with the Extension Service and is heading up the Muscadine program right now. Thank you so much for spending time with us on this edition of Arkansas AgCast. Thank you. Now we have Ken Moore in conversation with vocational agriculture instructor, Marcus Crawley of Centerpoint High School, who oversees the school's meats lab. He explains the lab's operation and a grant they have received to launch a retail meat store. I'm Ken Moore and on this edition of AgCast, I am speaking with Marcus Crawley, and Marcus is a vocational agriculture instructor at Centerpoint High School in Clark County, and uh, Marcus oversees the meats lab they have there at Centerpoint. Uh, thank you for visiting with us today. Uh, just kind of bring us up to date for those who are unfamiliar with your meats lab there at Centerpoint. How long has it been in existence? Talk about the you know, how long you've had the lab there and uh, and what you're doing and how you're teaching these students. The Centerpoint Meats Lab has been in existence uh, since, uh, well, it was actually from the Amity Meats Lab since the late 80s. Uh, Mr. Buck started that program there, and uh, it was able to, once the school consolidated in our area between Glenwood and Amity, um, it formed a Centerpoint School District, and the current meat facility has been there for about 12 years. And we offer, uh, right now, we're offering custom meat processing to individuals that want to bring in animals uh, uh, to have processed for themselves. And it's a full-service uh, slaughterhouse. Uh, we harvest and uh, chill and then process and freeze uh, animals for individuals. And those cuts are cut how they want them. We have a cut sheet that they fill out and our students are able to fabricate those cuts and uh, cut just exactly the cuts that they need and what they want from their animal. Uh, we do it at a, at a pretty discounted rate compared to other places and it's a, just a good opportunity for our students to learn how to do that and for a, provide a service for our community. That is fantastic and, and I'm said and I hope I'm not incorrect on that is Centerpoint the only school that offers this uh, uh, service and, and is teaching your students to do this? Yes, we're the only, the only school in the state that has a, a custom kill facility. Yeah, and, and that's great. And so this was, I guess, kind of how just Mr. Troy Buck, a uh, former member of our Arkansas Farm Bureau Board of Directors, uh, he was, it was him that got this started back there at Amity. And, uh, and what was the idea and the brainchild behind teaching students how to do this? Uh, I believe it's just a you know a, a need for an air, for the area you know to have a, a place to be able to, uh, to to bring their animals and also just to you know have the opportunity to be able to teach that skill set to students uh, you know to be able to use. Uh, I know in in that time it was probably more of a 
you know, they could use it on their own, you know, their own family farm and be able to, be able to process their own family's animals. Um, but it was just a, something that was needed, I believe, and he was able to get started in, at Amity. Well, that's fantastic. And now, so moving to the next level, as you develop your meats lab there on campus, uh, you have some space set aside to develop a your actual on-campus meat market, and, and you've received a Department of Education grant so that you can develop this meat market there at the school. Talk about how uh, that grant, how much is it worth, and uh, how did you go about obtaining it? Uh, the, the, the grant's about $65,000, and uh, we were able to obtain it from some funds uh, that, you know, were not were not utilized uh, fully last year, so we're able to, to, to write a grant and be able to get uh, more or less a startup grant for our retail facility. And so what are the plans on developing the meat market? Uh, kind of give me a timeline on that and uh, how you hope to see that to go forward. Uh, well, hopefully we'll have it up and running by the by the first of, of next year is what our, our plan is. Um, it'll have a, a walk-in cooler inside the room. There was already, when they built the new meats lab about 12 years ago, there was a room that was already set aside for a retail shop, but it never had been, uh, you know, built or, con- or constructed. Uh, the room hadn't been. Um, so we were able to use these funds to, to order the walk-in cooler. Uh, there'll be a, a smokehouse that's in there uh, and some other retail counter space that'll be in that room. And I understand that uh, you're going to be offering uh, some specialty cuts of, of meats. Talk about what all you hope to offer to the public. Uh, we'll be able to, um, you know, with having the, the smokehouse, be able to cure hams and, and bacon uh, to be able to sell. Um, everything that we'll sell in our retail meat shop, we'll, we'll order in, uh, you know, in box, you know, boxed beef or boxed meat. Uh, that's already been inspected somewhere. Since we run a custom kill facility, we're not inspected daily. Uh, we're just inspected once a year. Uh, so everything that we're going to be able to sell will have to be inspected. So we'll be able to order that in. Uh, but we'll do uh, hams and bacon, uh, some marinated cuts like marinated uh, steaks and uh, pork chops. And uh, we'll, we'll also be able to do some specialty sausages like some smoked, uh, smoked sausage, summer sausages, things like that that, uh, you know, are not, not really readily available at a at a butcher shop at a grocery store that we'll be able to kind of specialize and do at our shop. You're going to provide a great service to your local community because I don't imagine there's anything else anywhere around the school or maybe even there uh, nearby in, in Clark or Pike County uh, for the people that live there. Right, there, there's a few grocery stores, but not a not a specialty retail meat shop. And so how will this help the students learn the retailing end of the business? They're learning how to process meats for potential future careers, but this just takes their education to another level, doesn't it? Right. This will allow them to be able to kind of see more of the business side of a, a retail shop. Uh, we're, we started a, a teaching, offering agribusiness this year, and I'm, I'm running that course through our meats lab. So that, that those students will be able to really see the side of running running a business as far as, you know, the ordering of, of products and, uh, you know, mark, you know the marking up of prices and profit margins and being able to develop our logo and our, you know, ever, all the marketing that we'll do for our, our shop will be done through that agribusiness course. So it'll kind of be a kind of, you know, 
stepping up our what we're doing as far as the processing side and, and then kind of letting them see that retail side also. Well, this is another whole side of uh, agricultural education, Marcus, uh, that very few, if many other schools offer, as we've already stated. So how many students do you have involved in in, in your classes and, and who are learning this trade? Uh, this year I have about uh, 50 students that are enrolled in MEETS courses. Um, and that that's including our agri business course. That's a good number, isn't it? That's uh, that sounds like you've got a good number of students, and uh, once they graduate high school, you know they will go on to college potentially, but they'll have a trade that they can already, you know, maybe go out and find jobs for. Yes, sir, and even and even you know even if they don't you know become a, a butcher or work in a, a market, we're we're teaching them some skills as far as dealing with the public and. Um, you know, maybe even just some work ethic. I know that's something that, that seems to be lacking at times in, in students today. And uh, when they enroll in these courses at Centerpoint, they, they understand that this is a, a class that we actually work. And uh, they've got to be able to do that, to be able to perform in that class. So, uh, you know, it's kind of teaching that work ethic and that ability to work with the public is something that they'll use even if they don't go into, a, you know, a career in, in meat science. Marcus, uh, congratulations on getting that grant and now having the opportunity to develop your on-campus meat market. Thank you for sharing a few minutes for your time with us, and uh, best of luck as you get that up and running. Thank you, sir. been speaking with Marcus Crawley, the vocational agriculture instructor at Centerpoint High School, on this edition of Arkansas AgCast. Finally, Ken paid a visit to the University of Arkansas Monticello to talk to Bob Stark faculty advisor for the university's Collegiate Farm Bureau chapter, and Alex Soros, UAM chapter president. I'm Ken Moore, and I'm visiting with Dr. Bob Stark, who uh, is the coordinator, if you will, at the University of Arkansas Monticello of the Collegiate Farm Bureau chapter. And I'm also with Alex Soros, and she is a junior student here at UAM and uh, is the president of the local Collegiate Farm Bureau chapter. And uh, Dr. Stark, it's always great to see you. And be with you. I know you're real proud of your Collegiate Farm Bureau members. They've been here at the uh, Drew County Farm Bureau annual meeting helping serve the meal and just assist with the program tonight. They do that every year. There's so much more that your chapter does. Talk about the importance of of getting your agricultural students involved in the Collegiate Farm Bureau. Why is that so important to you? Collegiate Farm Bureau is a tremendous opportunity for our students to develop leadership skills both individually and collectively and prepare themselves for careers in agriculture. Uh, Agriculture is so much more than just farming or ranching and our students go in a diverse set of of, uh, occupations and Collegiate Farm Bureau is an excellent avenue to expose them to opportunities and to meet with leaders on the state, local, national level, and it's a tremendous opportunity for our students. How many students you have involved with your chapter this year? We are looking to have probably, uh, we're in our membership drive right now, we're expecting to have uh, 25 students uh, as members of our Collegiate Farm Bureau. That's great, and uh, you've been doing this, you've had your chapter in existence for a number of years now, I know. Yes, sir. Uh, I think it's been more than a decade maybe now that, that we've had. We were one of the earliest Collegiate Farm Bureaus across the state, and we've been very active. Uh, two years ago, we attended the National Convention in Nashville, Tennessee, 
and this year we're looking forward to attending and participating more heavily in the state convention uh, in Little Rock in, in December. Alex, uh, you lead the chapter here now this year. How long have you been involved in it all three years you've been down here at school? I think for only two, actually. Two years? Okay. Uh, what has Collegiate Farm Bureau meant to you, and how is it introducing you to, as Dr. Stark just said, more than just agriculture? It's helped me meet new people, uh, help out with the community, and see the campus in a whole new light, and just experience more friendships and just new leadership skills. What kind of leadership skills? Um, Well, public speaking for one, um, just connections with the community and other ties, so... Sure. And you serve. There's service opportunities, aren't there, Dr. Stark, uh, in so many ways, just like you've done here tonight. Uh, talk about some of the other outreach opportunities you've had. Well, uh, this year we will actually have a booth at the state convention for the first time, so we will help out with that. You have some others, too? Yes, sir. Uh, we've, we've helped uh, this year. We helped our Drew County Farm Bureau at, their county, at the county fair. We helped man the booth. We had some students at work there uh, through those. And we do various activities all through the year. One thing that we're looking forward to in January, I know that's looking ahead, but we are going to be helping um, as UAM and our College of Forestry, Agriculture, and Natural Resources host the Southeast Arkansas FFA contest. Uh, It's been several years since Southeast Arkansas has had a collective contest, and we're going to help out in terms of the uh, organization and the coordination of that. That's great. You heard uh, our vice president, Mr. Rich Hillman, tonight speak about having a voice, finding your voice to be an advocate for agriculture. And he was encouraging everybody here at the meeting tonight to do that. We need to be outspoken and, and educate the public about Arkansas agriculture Uh, and and the good news that we have there. One of the ways that students can do that is by participating to learn how, as Alex already said, uh, in public communication skills through the uh, Collegiate Farm Bureau discussion meet. I'm sure you've had participants in the discussion meet before. Have you participated in that, Alex? I actually have not. (laughs) Uh, Would that be something you might be interested in, in pursuing at some point before you graduate? Because that teaches you to research the issues, policy issues that are important to agriculture, and learn how to dialogue on those. Yes, we will actually have a discussion meet pretty soon at UAM campus, so I hope to participate in it. And how will that help you learn about some of the other issues that are important to this, you know, our state's largest industry? It'll show a light on what issues we are having and any other kind of light that maybe we can discuss and just see what's all out there. Dr. Stark, why is participation in the discussion meet so important for your students? We have to be a voice of agriculture. And the students need to learn the skills and how to present it in a, in a manner. Because we only about 2% of the population is actively engaged in farm operations nationwide. And so our people have to be very well-versed and very vocal and be able to present uh, and, and share correct information. There is so much uh, misinformation that is being spread through social media, through various news media, uh, well-meaning, but we need to have the correct story out there and be able to explain and defend uh, many of the actions that are going ahead. And this is a good opportunity for students to take an initial step in learning how to do that uh, in 
on a, on a basis uh, of a college level. And, of course, then our, our winner here at the UAM campus will compete against uh, Collegiate Farm Bureau winners from the other uh, universities across the state. No question. We have that state competition, and then the winner of that competition goes on to the national contest. And so uh, it just gives you excellent opportunities to learn how to uh, research and then speak out on the issues uh, that are so important in our industry today. And I guess one final thing is it introduces you to all the many ways that Farm Bureau can be a support to the farmer and rancher here in the state. So has it helped you, Alex, learn more about uh, the Arkansas Farm Bureau organization? Yes, because I didn't know much about Farm Bureau when I first got in it, but now I see how diverse it is, and that it's just, we need it, honestly. And it's just more than, yeah, cattle ranching and farming, so it's a great experience to learn. Well, thank you for your leadership of your local chapter here at the University of Arkansas at Monticello. And Dr. Stark, I know you've been mentoring a number of students, like you said, for over a decade. It's just exciting to see them come through and then become leaders in the local community once they graduate, isn't it? That's exactly true. I'm very proud of our leaders. Uh, The president of the Drew County Farm Bureau uh, is a graduate of our program, along with several of the board members. And I'm very proud of them and very happy that we could contribute to their education and to their uh, development and careers. been speaking with Dr. Bob Stark, the uh, faculty coordinator of the UAM Collegiate Farm Bureau chapter, and Alex Soros, who is the chapter president down here in Monticello tonight on this edition of AgCast. That's it for this week. Look for another AgCast next Thursday when we'll talk to one of the founders of a new agriculture business startup in Northwest Arkansas.